Well, that clip, if you have kids, you're well aware that's from Moana, right? The Disney movie. And uh, I love that character, Maui, played by none other than Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, right? Who knew he could sing? Apparently, he can do anything. I, I did, you know, it must be great to have that kind of talent. But uh, in this movie, uh, he plays a demigod. And let me ask, any, do we have any demigods out there? Okay, a couple hands raised. You should really pay attention to this message today, okay? Um, you know, probably a better question. Uh, well, first of all, he is a demigod, which means he's half uh, god, half mortal, right? And according to fandom.com, it says he's half human, half god, 100% awesome. So let me ask you this. This is a better question. How many of you know someone who thinks they're a demigod? Right. You know, that character is kind of funny when you look at him, but I think it's funny uh, mostly because you probably know someone that's kind of like that, and you're like, oh, that is spot on for, for that kind of personality, this self-absorbed, self-feeding, like all about me kind of personality. And uh, you see that, and it's funny in part because you probably know someone like that, but also because you don't have to deal with it on a daily basis, right? When you are forced to deal with personalities like that, it's pretty, it actually just kind of becomes exhausting. It just wears you out, and it's kind of like uh, relationship the repellent, you know? Like spray a little add-on and people run, you know? And so um, I, I believe that if we were to sit down or just take a minute right now to try and create a list, even a short list at that, of the traits and characteristics that we do not appreciate or admire in others, at the top of the list, one of the first things to hit the list is probably going to be people who don't have humility, you know, the arrogant, proud, you know, haughty people comes right, right to mind immediately. And uh, quite frankly, um, when, when you look at that personality, um, it's sort of like the building block of character development in, for, for movie villains and for, for like, you know, the antagonist in, in any, you know, drama or even just, just evil people. One of my favorite movies that I ever saw uh, and I didn't see it until my mid-20s, actually. It's, it's a Wonderful Life. You guys all seen that movie with, with James Stewart, right? Just such a great, uh, great movie. Remember the antagonist? Who, who was the evil villain in that one? You guys remember? Potter, right? Someone said it up there. Potter. And he is this self-absorbed, prideful megalomaniac whose ultimate goal is to get George Bailey out of the picture, buy off his business so that he can run the town, own the town, and eventually change the name of, of the town, Bedford Falls, into Pottersville, <laughs> right? But, you know, you also see it in, like, the Hitlers and the uh, Osama bin Ladens and the Joseph Coneys of this world, the evil people who are willing to stop at nothing to the literal cost of humanity. They will put their priorities and agendas and desires in front of everyone else and prioritize themselves over others. Um, you know, at a core level, at a core level, pride, arrogant, haughty individuals, the focus, the central piece of that is me. Me. And, and, and a focus on prioritization of myself and my uh, 
you know, my priorities, my importance over the priorities and the importance of others. And so, in short, pride is a relationship buster. And the antidote to pride is humility, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And clearly, they've picked the right guy to talk about that. <laughs> right? You're all thinking it. I just said it out loud. No, I'm, I'm joking completely. Um, by the way, my name is Mike. I'm a director of arts here, and I, I get to teach a little bit too. Um, we're in the second week of a series that we've called Note to Self. Uh, note to self, understanding your role in healthy relationships. And last week, if you were here, you uh, heard Derek talk about uh, our need to stop judging ourselves and our own perceived unworthiness of being involved in healthy relationships. All right, and then this week, uh, we're going to flip the coin and look at the other side uh, of, of that, and we're going to uh, talk about our need uh, to, to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are we humble enough to be involved in helping create healthy relationships? So let me, uh, let me say it this way. So if last week was about the masks that we wear to hide our faults and flaws from others so that we can avoid being involved in healthy relationships, this week is about the glasses that we wear through which we view people and assess whether they live up to the measure of our standard that says, I'll be involved in a relationship with you. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're calling this day, Get Over Yourself. So get over yourself, all of you. And you guys, uh, this is an idiom, you, you guys know this, uh, so you can complete this sentence for me. It says, pride comes before... All right, yeah, that's a, that's a common idiom, but it actually came from a scripture verse. We find this in Proverbs chapter uh, 16, and I want to read this to you because it's a little more daunting than, than that idiom. It says this, pride goes before what? Destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. So pride goes before what? Let's comp complete that destruction, right? And when you talk about humility or being humble, we're ba ba the, the definition is just someone who's not proud, haughty, or arrogant, right? That, that's what pride is, pretty simple. What's haughtiness? Haughtiness is a prioritization of me and my awesomeness over your unawesomeness, right? That's what haughtiness is. I, I have a perceived uh, inferiority for you over me. That's being haughty. And it says very clearly that pride comes before destruction. Our lack of humility is not just something that makes us fall. According to God's word, our pride and lack of humility is something that is the actual setup for destruction in our lives. It's the actual setup. And you know, yeah, again, I'm kinda, I guess I'm kind of stuck on movies today, but um, 
You see this all the time, like, in, in movies, right? The, the evil villain has finally captured the hero, and he's got him tied up in a big bundle of rope, and he's hanging him over a boiling pot of tar. But before he'll cut him into the tar for his final demise, he has to give him the, and here's why I'm better than you speech. And in that moment while he's delivering the I'm better than you speech, something happens, the plot twists, and eventually that person... <laughs> comes to their demise. It's their destruction because of their pride. They couldn't just off the guy. They got to tell him why they're going to off him, right? And, but he, here's what I want you to understand is that when the Bible says stuff like this, it's not just cool knowledge or something. It's actually real life. This is a, 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 a fact in our lives that pride is the setup for destruction in our relationships, in every part of our life. And it, it, it will be something that, and probably all of you sitting here, no, not probably, definitely all of you sitting here have experienced a time in your life where pride has become your downfall and destroyed something. But here's what you need to understand. When you are proud and not humble, it doesn't just destroy you. It can destroy those around you Many times it can destroy some people who aren't even all that connected with you. It destroys your relationships. It's a very, very bad thing. And you, you think about this, many of you are here today and you're suffering loss in a relationship and you've had this discussion where you said, I will not apologize to that person. You know what? She should apologize to me. He should apologize to me. And the relationship falls apart. Or, or, or you're saying, I'm not going to do what they tell me. They should do what I tell them. Right? Next thing you know, the relationship is broken. Or, or you've, maybe you've said this, that person's not worth my time. Well, I'm pretty sure that relationship didn't go very far. Or you see this in relationships. Some of us here today are suffering, you know, broken, broken marriages. And, you know, what happens sometimes is, you feel as though you're not getting the accolades or the praise that you deserve and other people are willing to get it. So you chase off in, in seeking those people who will give you the accolades and the praise you deserve and it leads to you know, affairs and terrible things and eventually the relationship is destroyed. Or maybe, just maybe, uh, you, know, you, you uh, have seen your children if, you're, if you have older children, or maybe not even older children, you've seen in their lives, you've given them advice, but they wouldn't be humble to receive the advice you're giving them, and they've made decisions against your advice, and you see the destruction in their life. Or if you have heard advice, and you wouldn't be humble to receive it, and now you're suffering from the destruction of your own pride because you refuse to listen, right? That's what pride does. Pride is a setup for destruction. Humility is the antidote. And this happens in real life. And when we're pride, we're setting up ourselves for destruction. We're setting up our relationships for destruction. We're setting up our finances for destruction. We're setting up every part of our lives. Our careers are being set up for destruction. And let me just um, shift gears and kind of lighten, lighten the mood for a second. I just thought to myself, what would be a great way to demonstrate the difference between 
pride and humility. And I thought, well, a great, great way to look at that is let's look at the NFL. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a really quick clip of two individuals that are superstars to be sure. And what I want you to understand is, what I want you to look at is the difference in the way uh, uh, the two people celebrated their touchdowns. Take a look at this. So just to be fair, I skewed towards Barry Sanders because he's the best running back ever. And um, <laughs> if you're not familiar with football, just so you know, Terrell Owens had a reputation for doing crazy stuff. Like he just happened to have a Sharpie in his sock to sign a ball when he scored his touchdown. And other crazy touchdown stuff, like one time he took the ball and stuck. He's playing Dallas. He put, ran out and put the ball in the middle of the field. Anyway, he had relational conflict with coaches, players, fans, the whole bit. Barry Sanders, you see, he was asked uh, why, how come you don't celebrate your touchdowns? And his response was great. He's like, hey, just be humble and act like you've been there before. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, he was great teammate and loved and respected in, in, in all of Detroit and probably all of football, as a matter of fact. So anyway, today, what I want to do in this series, Note to Self, I want to give you three notes to self that have to do specifically with humility and the role that it plays in your relationships. Three notes to self that have specifically to do with, with uh, being humble and how it affects your relationships, okay? So if you're a note taker, here's where you start taking notes. Note to self number one is this. Humility protects me against Satan's attack. Humility protects me against Satan's attacks. Now, uh, it, there's an interesting passage in, in John 10 where Jesus is talking to, to 
uh, some people and he says, I, I want to explain to you, and he talks about the good shepherd. He refers to himself as the good shepherd. And his goal as the good shepherd is to guide the sheep into safety and provide safety and protect them and feed them and give them what they need. And he says, I am the good shepherd. This is what I'm hoping. And we are the sheep, as he's referring to in this uh, scenario. And then he says, referring to Satan as the thief. And he says, Satan or the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy, okay? You need to understand from the get-go that Satan has no good intention on your behalf. His desire is to destroy you, all right? You just need to know that. And God's desire, Jesus' desire in our life is to protect us, guide us, provide for us, keep us safe, keep us away from the things that are gonna be damaging to us. And so, uh, just, just know this about Satan. If you look at what happened, how, where did Satan even come from? Well, Satan was actually an angelic being, and he was actually the number one, the top-ranking uh, angelic being in all of heaven, serving God, the lead servant of God, number one, uno, like the best, but he was not humble and not willing to be number one servant. He wanted to be number one who others would serve. And so God said, no bueno. He serves him eviction papers and he's cast out because he was too proud to stay in the role that he was in, right? Understand that Satan is pride incarnated, right? And uh, let, me, let me just talk about sin for a second because, and I'll give you a very simple definition of sin, okay? Sin uh, is always unwillingness to come under the authority of God or place myself as inferior to others. Sin is always my unwillingness to come under the authority of God or place myself as inferior to others, okay? Now, uh, sin is the result of pride or my lack of humility causing me to do whatever it takes to serve myself and prioritize myself over others. And when we talk about sin, we think about things like, you know, lying or cheating or stealing, and those are sins, clearly. But, but when you actually boil it down a little bit to understand why do we lie, why do we cheat, why do we steal, because the motivation is an, a desire to serve self. I steal because you have something I want, and I value myself over you, so I'm taking it away from you. And every time you sin, just so you know, it's always my refusal to come under God's authority and my desire to make myself the God. And I'm gonna serve myself. And so uh, what I want you to understand is Satan is kind of a one-trick pony, actually. His tactics are to appeal to our sense of me first, our lack of humility and our pride. And when we talk about uh, sin and how this plays out in our lives, I think it's really valuable. I, I, I go here all the time. I've talked about this before. Understanding original sin, Genesis chapter 3, the fall in the garden. Let me just talk about that for a second because it's so informative to our lives. And you can see Satan's scheme so clearly. Look at uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. It picks up. It says this. The woman was convinced 
She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now let me just paint the picture. Adam and Eve at this point are in the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful place. They have dominion over all of the animals and all of the plants. Everything they need is provided. They're just all day riding around on lions and petting their fur and like going on dolphin rides or something. I don't know what they're doing, but they're, they're like, they have complete dominion and unity with everything in the world, okay? Along comes the antagonist. The evil villain and Satan shows up as a serpent and the first thing he does is he gets them to look at this tree and get them concentrating on the tree and he rolls out this script where he says, hey, you know what? I think God's holding out on you. He appeals to what they don't have and their desire, their pride. Look at it, it says, it says, she saw that it was beautiful. He appealed to the eyes. How many times have we seen something that have led us in the wrong direction? And rather than following what God says, I'm going to be, make my own decisions. Or, and then it goes on. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. He appealed to our appetite. And I don't just mean food. I mean our appetite to get stuff. We're all too often willing to trade God's lordship for an immediate fix in our life. And he goes on. She wanted the wisdom appealing to my mind and my intellect and he rolls out this script that says, God's holding out on you. You don't have everything. There's more out there. Why are you submitting to him? You should be your own God. Make your own decisions. And they did. And here's what's amazing about this. You notice what the first thing that happened once they sinned was? They became aware of themselves. They were running around in naked oblivion, loving life, unaware that they were unclothed, and then they sinned, and it says their eyes were opened, and they became aware of their nakedness, and they were ashamed, and this is the script that Satan uses over and over in our lives. He appeals to our pride. God's holding out on you. There's better. He's trying to keep you from stuff, and you should know this. God is trying to keep you from stuff and stuff from you because it's best for you. And then when you buy into the lie and you allow your pride to make the decision, you become what? Self-aware and self-focused. Shame sets in. I try and hide. I try and protect. I start lying and I live a life that is anything but what God has designed for us. Satan's plan is to appeal to our pride and our lack of humility. Here's another great example uh, in Matthew chapter four where Satan comes to tempt Jesus directly. It's direct conversation with him and we see that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And you know what happens after you fast 40 days? You get hungry. And so the first thing, no, it's true, it's true. For me, it's like 40 minutes. But anyway, um, so here's what he, Satan does. See, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And Satan comes to him and he goes, hey, you're Jesus, right? You can do miracles. Why don't you turn, listen, turn those stones into bread and just eat them. What's he saying? He's appealing to his appetite. He's saying, hey, you know what? Why was Jesus fasting in the first place? Because he wanted great connection with God. He was trying to unite with God. And Satan says, forget that, baloney. Eat, you're hungry. 
Stop, stop seeking God, seek yourself. Say, and Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna do it. And then the next thing he does, he takes him to the top, highest point in the temple, and he goes, you should just jump off, and you have all these angel minions, and they'll just catch you, because you are so important. Jesus, why don't you go do that? He's like, I'm not gonna do that. I don't need to prove my self-worth. Appeals to his self-worth. And then he takes him to this point, this lookout over the whole region, and he says, listen, if you just worship me, I'll give it all to you. And he appeals to the sense of replacing God with stuff. How often have we gotten caught in this place where we think that what God wants, to, you know, this God-sized hole in our heart, we try and jam other things in to fill it out, and it never works. Of course, Jesus says, I'm not going to do it. Encourages God to build his own, or Jesus to build his own kingdom apart from God. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Satan's tactic is to appeal you to your sense of pride and your best defense is to humbly submit yourself to God and his ways of living. God is not holding out. He's protecting. Don't make the mistake of believing those lies. Note to self number one is that humility protects me against Satan's attack. Note to self number two is this. Humility aligns me with God's heart and mind. Humility aligns me with God's heart and mind. Let's jump to the New Testament here, Philippians chapter two. We're gonna pick up in the second half of verse five, and it says this. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and made, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Jesus, who is God, it says, did not think of using his oneness with God, his equality with God, his being God, to advantage himself. He rather used his oneness with God to advantage who? Us, us, and he disadvantaged himself in the process. He actually emptied himself, and the word uh, 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 for emptying or to make yourself nothing is canoe, and it means to literally take everything inside of you and pour it out, get rid of it, empty it on our behalf. He gave everything he had so that we could be advantaged. And then he made himself a servant, it said. He came to serve us. Wait a minute, he's God. Why is he serving us? Because that's, that's what God is about, us being about others. And the word there is dolos, and it means, actually means to be a slave or to be like a servant under the command of a king. You have to do what that king tells you, right? And it says he humbled himself which means to make yourself low, the Greek word there, make yourself low, or to make yourself lower than others, to be humble, or actually to be humiliated. See, he's God, he takes on human form, and is humiliated, it says, to the point of death, and not only just death, but a humiliating death on the cross, which he did not deserve, we deserved, but he did it for us. And here's, how did this whole thing start? This passage says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
That is the mindset that we are to be bringing into our relationships. Serve and advantage others. When we're humble, we're able to align with God's heart and God's mind. That's who he was. Note to self, number three. Well, number one is, who's got it? Who's got it? Note to self, humility protects me from Satan's attack. Note to self, number two, humility aligns me with God's heart and mind. Note to self, number three, humility allows me to connect with others. Humility allows me to connect with others. I'm so uh, tricky and sneaky that you didn't even know I left the first six words out of that verse, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5. So I want to go hit these really quick and just demonstrate something to you. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what I want you to understand is this whole plan that he's laid out for us to have his mindset is in the context of relationship. We are to be humble and servants of other and advantaging other in our relationships specifically. And let, let, let me just back up to the beginning, the first four verses that led to what we just read in, in that passage in Philippians chapter two, and it says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, and then he goes on to say, and in your relationships, have my mindset. Okay. So what does he say in this passage? Rather than being selfish, me, vain, me, conceited, me, rather than that, be humble and value others more than you. That's, imagine, can you imagine being in where every, every single relationship you have, anyone you run into, anyone you had any interaction with, imagine a world where every single person you came in contact with was trying to advantage you and trying, looking to your interests to help you be all that you believe God is calling you to be. Anyone say, no, I don't need that, I'm good, right? No. But this is what God calls us to that we could be, if we were all focused on each other, we would be in a world where we were all helping each other and we wouldn't have to worry about ourselves. Adam and Eve, in fact, didn't have to worry about themselves because God was already worrying about them. But then they started taking on the responsibility of God, making their own decisions. Now we have to worry about ourselves. We need to value others more than ourselves. And when we are humble, we can connect with others and when we're focused on ourselves, it gets pretty tough. We end up being like Maui in that video clip. I want to just kind of flip the angle at which we're going to look at this. And so we're going to jump forward to James, uh, James chapter 4 and look at another passage that kind of is the opposed to kind of uh, presentation of this. And look at this. It says, so what's causing quarrels and fights among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. You scheme and you kill to get, uh, to get it. You, you're jealous of what others have and you, and you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Down to verse six, it says, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to, close to you. What's the context here again? relationship. And specifically, instead of saying, hey, this is what it could look like, he says, Here's, l- let me explain what it really does look like and tell you why it looks like this. And he says, you can't get along with each other because you're, instead of looking to the interests of others and trying to advantage others, you are jealous of others and you're trying to take what they have. Because you're going, hey, wait a second. Why do they have that? I'm more important than them. And so you're trying to advantage yourself. The very antithesis of what God calls us to. You feel like, I deserve this, though. It's, it, and guess what? It leads to what? My pride, my lack of humility leads to destruction. And, and let me just say this. Maybe, maybe, Part of the reason why pride leads to destruction is revealed in this verse because it says this, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And just maybe the reason it leads to destruction is because when you're proud and not humble, you're actually fighting against God. And he's way stronger than you. But what he wants is to give grace to you by asking you to live humbly. So let me just say this, and I'm, I'm not gonna pull punches here. I wanna say this as straightforward as I can, but I want you to hear this in pastoral care and love. I want you to understand that I'm saying this not because I have a personal motivation, for anything other than what I believe God is calling all of us to, and it's this. Let me read the verse, then I'll tell you what I wanna say. This is uh, in Hebrews 10, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting regularly as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's why I don't want to pull punches, and I want to encourage you to think a little differently. We have so many people that come here on a weekly basis. It's awesome. I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. But many of us come on a whenever we feel like it basis. And the scripture is really clear. It says, don't, how does it say it? Don't give up meeting together. Some of the habit. Let me say it this way. Don't create a habit of coming whenever you feel like it. And you're like, oh, you just want a lot of people to come here. And I'm like, you could not be more correct. You could not be more spot on. But the reason I want more people here is because I believe God wants to speak to you and help you become what he desires you to be but not just on Sundays. We have a thing called Life Together Groups. That's our small groups where we want you to be connected with a tight core. My small group is the best small group around. I've said this all the time. It's true. Tough, tough luck for your small group. I don't know. But 
We have small groups or life together groups because that is what God calls us to. People to be in your life when the bad stuff happens and people to be in your life when the good stuff happens and be connected and known and loved. That's what God calls us to. And I just want to tell you that all too often, if you're deciding to just not join a small group or if you're deciding I know, I'm not gonna go today. Here's what I want to point out to you. We make statements like, yeah, I just just don't feel like it today. I'm really tired. Had a long week. Or, 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 you know, it's just stuff, just not working for me. Just not working. I'm not getting anything out of this. Or, you know, I just don't have time. Or, I'm good without it. Let me ask you a question. What do you notice? Who are those statements all focused on? Me. Again, I want you to receive this in the most gracious sense of pastoral care. Here's what I want you to understand about the verse that we just read about getting together and being part of a body. It says that we are called to spur one another on and encourage one another. And I want you to know that if you're not coming you're not gonna be able to spur someone on and you're not gonna be able to encourage them. And I also want you to know that you are missing out. See, we so often focus on what am I getting out of it and God says, no, flip the script. You should be focusing on what do you bring to this and here's what you need to understand. When you're not involved in a small group and you're not coming to church, someone here is missing out because you're not here. I want to ask you, when's the last time you thought about that? Maybe someone needs me at church today. Think about how we can humbly serve the body at K2 and how we can spur one another on and how we can encourage one another. And think about this. What is your role? I'm speaking to you all individually. What is your role that you are playing here in this local assembly at helping create healthy relationships. I'm not even just talking about joining a group. I'm talking about how are you going to do what God calls us to do, but be an encourager and, and to spur people on. What are you doing to do that? Because if you're not doing it, you're missing out. Will you guys pray with me? And as I pray, I I just want you to ask yourself this question. God, what are you saying to me? Right now, in this moment, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love and for your grace, and we're just, you, you went to great lengths so that we could live in the freedom from self and be humble for the good of those around us. And I pray that in those areas where we're not humble, you would reveal our pride to, our, to, to us, specifically in the moment. Help us be aware of that and, and, and show us ways in every situation where we can be humble and be a healthy relationship creator. Use all of us to bring kingdom glory to this earth and to bring awareness to you, God, not ourselves, but to you. 
We love you so much, and we ask this in your name. Amen.